0: Ephesians 5, at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our Father, we thank you for all that you have done to make us who we are, a new humanity in Christ, a new self, children of light. And as we consider now the conduct you expect of us as Christians, help us to remember that Christian conduct is an outworking of our Christian identity. And so, in that light, we pray that we will hear these instructions and exhortations rightly. That we need to strive to be who we have, through Christ's blood, already become. We pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity in areas where there is confusion. We pray that you would help us to hear and discern the difference between empty words and truth. And above all, Lord, we pray that you would by your Spirit fill us, especially these parts of our lives that maybe hitherto have been off-limits to the transforming power of the Spirit. Speak to us, not simply individually, but corporately as a church. And may we, in and through it all grow deeper and deeper in devotion to the one who has loved us so much. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Now, please have your Bibles open in front of you or on your phone or whatever. And the reason, well, I always ask that, but I really want us today to see what Paul says, God's apostle, writing under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I want you to wrestle with me with what God is saying. You are not listening to me. I am not listening to me. Together we are listening to God speaking through his inspired word. Now, as we turn to this material, I want you to have in your minds the song that we have just sung. And these words, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. I want you to have in your minds the Lord Jesus Christ right beside you. I want you to think of his dignity and his holiness and his purity. And then let your mind dwell on the fact that he is not right beside you. He is inside of you. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. And living for the lover of your soul embraces, amongst other things, the most intimate forms and expressions of human love. Love and sex and intimacy. That is an expression of the one who loves your soul living in you. The Bible, when it speaks of sexuality, raises it to a level of dignity that takes us right to the very heart of Jesus Christ and of God. Now, the first thing we need to be really clear on is that Christian conduct is an outworking of Christian identity. And and that is really, really important it is really, really important that we uh, grasp that the exhortations that run all through this passage, the the kind of imperatives. Let me read some of them to you. Verse 1, be imitators of God. Just look at them. Be an imitator. Verse 2, walk in love. Verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named. Don't talk about it. Verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Verse 6. Verse 7, do not become. Verse 8, walk. Verse 10, discern. Verse 11, take no part. Expose. Verse 15, look carefully. Verse 17, do not be foolish. Verse 18, do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, it is chock-a-block with exhortations. Do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. And that is the character of much of the material in the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6. But, of course, chapters 4 to 6 comes after and rests on and stands on chapters 1 to 3. And the character, the content of chapters 1 to 3 is not exhortation but explanation of who you are in Christ, who we are as a church. And so when you get the two together together, the logic is this, be who you have become. Christian conduct is an outworking of Christian identity. And uh, so do not forget, as you listen to God's Word, chapters 1 to 3, And, of course, the second half of the letter is laced with reminders of that. So, for example, look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Or verse 8, you are light in the Lord. Not you are light like the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, Paul is reminding us in these verses of our identity as children of God. We are adopted by God into his family. But adopted into God's family, and I think I've always got this wrong when I've spoken on adoption. It's not the same as you or I adopting someone into our family. Because when God adopts us, we get God's DNA (laughs) We get the Spirit of Christ indwelling us. So Paul doesn't say, verse 8, you are to be light like the Lord. He says, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so all that Paul is going to go on to say in these verses is in a sense a gauge and a test of our true, genuine conversion. If this resonates with you, then you're converted to Christ because Christ is in you. If it doesn't, well, Christ is calling you To trust him. Now, while it's really important that we see that we are to be who we have become, effort and discipline and perseverance in the Christian life is important. You've got to work at this, you've got to go to the spiritual gym, you've got to strive. As a church family, we need to encourage each other in this area as in every other. Now, let's turn to the detail of the text, verses 1 to 7. Do not walk in the ways of the world. Now, Paul's tone in these verses is predominantly negative. Do not do this. Do not live like this. Do not talk like this any longer. Because now you are Christians, God's new humanity, the church, you are different. Verses 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. These two verses at the beginning remind us of who we are in Christ and the power of God, the Spirit of Christ that is within us to be who we have become. Now, as I've said, We need to bear in mind Jesus, in your minds now. Live like this because you have his spirit in you. Live like this because you love him. Now, Paul is about to speak about the area of sexual erotic love. And I'm sure that what's in Paul's mind When he speaks in verse 2 about walking in love is exactly what he's going to say. And you see what he's doing. He's taking Jesus, his love for us, our being in Jesus, walk in love, and in this realm. You see, it's tied so closely into the Lord Jesus. Now, just look at verse 7, the other bookend of this first section, verses 1 to 7. Do not become partners with them. Uh, The them here is the sons of disobedience at the end of verse 6. And that is simply a phrase Paul uses to describe people who aren't Christians, people of the world. People who are, by definition and its logic, uh, disobedient to God, who do not live or accept God's rule. Hence, sons of disobedience. And I guess uh, people who aren't Christians would agree with that description. They don't obey God. And Paul is saying to the Christians, to the church in Ephesus, and to us, don't be partners with the world. Now, let me say to you what that does not mean. It does not mean withdraw into a holy huddle with no contact with the world. It can't mean that, given what Paul is about to say in the next bit about being light in the world. Don't live like the world lives. He's saying, live differently, live distinctively, but do not ever withdraw from the world. Now, Paul's focus in the first part of chapter 5, verses 3 to 6, is in the area of sexuality. Now, our reaction to this as Christians, as a church, is something like this. Oh, this is very difficult. Oh, I wish we weren't here again. Or would you like to preach this sermon on Sunday? I wish this issue just wasn't the issue that seems to be in the Western world defining the church's distinctiveness. Now, we need a bit of perspective. In almost every pastoral letter in the New Testament, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Philippians, Romans, this is one of the, if not the biggest area that the apostles exhort Christians to be distinctive in. It's in every one of these letters as a big issue in the early church. And the early church was birthed into an environment of secularism, if you like, or disobedience to God. And so we should expect logically as our culture becomes increasingly secular and distant from its spiritual heritage, this issue will become the dominant or a dominant issue in our culture. It should never have taken us by surprise. It's all over the New Testament. And we have to trust. We have to trust to God's Word. We have to trust to God's word that distinctiveness and clarity and truth in this area is, and just glance forward in your minds to verse 8 and following, the means of the church shining light into the world such that the world sees the way Christians live and doesn't And you will find many people who say this will happen. Render the church obsolete and irrelevant. Rather, God's word says it will shine like a light into the world and wake people up from the dead and lead them to Jesus. And the church, therefore, needs to be faithful and obey and trust God. So don't be surprised by this area. Um, I was struck by uh, this at a wedding recently. In the wedding, I played a straight bat. Someone said it. I don't know what that meant. It's an English uh, game. Uh, A traditional orthodox marriage service. I think that's what it means. I explained that marriage is between one man and one woman in lifelong covenant commitment. Many people spoke to me afterwards, appreciating what had been said. The best man in his speech said I deserved a round of applause for playing a straight bat. And when they spoke to me, they referred to a traditional service, traditional values, yet expressed in a real way by people who really believed in them. And most of the people who spoke to me in these positive ways were Christians. Were not Christians, rather. They weren't Christians. I suspect they've been to all sorts of weddings and funerals that are just empty. Yet they weren't put off by truth. They were captivated by it. It's not a surprise, is it? Because it's like a light being switched on that wakes people up, according to God's word. Maybe they discerned light in the darkness. The two people at the wedding who took real issue with what I had said one was a minister, and the other was, in his words, a Christian. The only two people who took issue. And I said to them, why do you take issue with the traditional view of marriage? And their answer was, the Holy Spirit is leading us in a new direction so that we might be relevant in our culture. Isn't it striking that whereas our society, we must believe has an instinct to see truth as truth, the church isn't. I was kind of lost for words at the wedding. I mean, it's striking, isn't it? And uh, let me read to you then verses 3 and 4. This is a, a common New Testament description in this area. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Um, And Paul is describing here what is accepted or normal in the world, but not in the church. The logic is the church is God's new humanity, different from the world. Now, let me define some of these words. They have precise meanings that would have been clearly understood by Paul's readers, and these words are used consistently through the New Testament to mean the same thing. Firstly, sexual immorality. The word there is porneia, from which we get our word pornography. And the word refers, porneia, sexual immorality, to any sexual activity outside of a lifelong exclusive marriage relationship between one man and one woman. So sexual immorality, pornea, includes a heterosexual affair, living together unmarried, or homosexual sexual activity. The word impurity is used in the New Testament to mean sensuality. It involves events, language, entertainment, conversation. Where sexual immorality is encouraged or glorified. And covetousness in this context almost certainly means an uncontrolled desire to have the body of another or to satisfy my own physical needs in the form of selfish greed. And in verse 5, Paul links covetousness with idolatry. Now, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness that's the world, that is the accepted norm, it is everywhere. But it should not, Paul says, even be named amongst you as the church or as Christians. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place. As Christians, we are not to engage in this kind of sexual activity. Indeed, we are not even to indulge in talk about it. And talk about this kind of stuff is everywhere, it's in every newspaper, every magazine, every single film, virtually every TV show, every TV family show. It's everywhere. And we become desensitized. But that's no excuse. We laugh at things we shouldn't. We enjoy things we shouldn't. We indulge in things we shouldn't. Why shouldn't we? Because Jesus is the lover of our souls. And because, as Paul says in verse 7, it is not appropriate or proper for saints to do this. Saints simply means Christian. It is not proper for Christians to do this or think this or speak this or say this or to enjoy this because we have been set apart to be holy and blameless in Christ Christ with the Holy Spirit within us well let me put it like this would sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness be named or spoken of by the Lord Jesus Christ think of Jesus with his disciples do you really think that Jesus Christ would have sat round with his disciples and shared a joke on stuff like this now that's not being irreverent that's exactly what this is saying it's it's what he would be like and he's in you would filthiness, foolish talk, or crude joking be heard from Jesus' lips? Of course not. So why should it be heard from yours and mine? Because Christ is in us. Notice how Paul ends verse 8. It's a little bit of a practical strategy. Instead of filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, there should be thanksgiving. That is the language of God's new humanity, the language of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what is good and honorable and true and pure. Thanksgiving for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus. Thanksgiving for one another. So, there's a strategy tomorrow at work or or wherever you are, or in the gym, or with your mates, or whatever. Uh, When discussion gets onto this ground, as it might well do, um, just kind of get a reputation for changing the subject. I mean, don't talk to them about, you know, you'll speak about Jesus and you give thanksgiving. Just talk about anything, just move the conversation. Now, it's very conceivable that somebody who isn't a Christian might say, I hear what you're saying, but I enjoy it. I enjoy listening to these comedians from the London Palladium, whatever. I enjoy I, I enjoy watching the stuff. I enjoy my sex life. Aren't you as a Christian far too narrow, puritan, restricted? Can't you just relax a bit, let things go, and enjoy the banter and the humor? Surely it can't do any harm. Well, Paul says in verses 5 and 6, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, and that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now let me be really clear here. You're all panicking, as am I. The aim is not to spread panic amongst Christians. (laughs) Yeah, Peter O'Brien in his commentary in Ephesians, he's written a commentary that's about as wide as this stage. I think the Apostle Paul must love it, but he must despair. All these footnotes. In a moment of true perception, Peter O'Brien writes this, the Apostle is not asserting that every believer who ever falls to these sins is automatically excluded from God's kingdom. Thank you for that. Rather, what is envisaged here is the person who has given him or self up without shame or repentance to this way of life. You see, it's very different, isn't it? Paul is referring here to people who have rejected God, who aren't Christians, and they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, you cannot embrace this stuff and live this way without repentance and without shame and be a Christian. It's logically impossible because Christ wouldn't. The only way you can justify that is to take the word of God and rip it up. It's the only way you can do it. And say, the Holy Spirit has led me into a new revelation. Just because in our culture, it gets a better hearing. It's so illogical. So time bound. Now I bet you that I'm not the only person in this room that's thankful that this isn't saying, if you struggle with these things. You're done for. You and I will struggle with these things till the day we are home in glory. Men do, women do in different ways. Every one of us does. But what I do and what you do because Christ is in you is feel bad. You feel shame. You feel sorry. You sort it out. You repent of it. Because Jesus Christ is the lover of your soul. When I think of the Lord Jesus, and I have a physical picture of him often in my mind, I do not think of him when I struggle in these areas as someone with a tyrannical rod. What helps me to resist temptation is my love for him and his love for me. And then verse 6. What a timely verse for our time. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words that what the Word of God says is not true. Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words suggesting that sexual restraint and discipline is not part of God's purpose empty words, empty words. Now, is that not a very accurate description of so much of the talk in our time from politicians, the media, and increasingly in the church? Words like liberty or inclusion or equality, the great watch words of the intellectual, political, liberal elite of the Western world, That we should be free as consenting adults. This all goes back to guys like John Stuart Mill, I guess, utilitarianism, liberty. Here's the kind of ethic that dominates our culture, at least through the media, through the political elite, through the liberal elite, the intellectual elite. That we should be free as consenting adults to engage in any action provided that it does not harm another person. And then we will be free. And then our society will be strong and there will be community and there will be trust. Just look out. Our society has never been more broken, more disunited, more lacking in trust, more lacking in social cohesion than now. Never. And verse 6 tells us that because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You might expect that to say will come on the day of judgment, but it doesn't say that. God's wrath comes presently on the sons of disobedience. Broken homes, broken relationships, the state as parent psychologically, damaged children, sexual disease, breakdown of a society and culture. Let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a hint, I think, there of Genesis 3. Yeah, the serpent says to Eve, come on, you're not going to die. It'll be fine. Now, they're striking words. Let me read them again. Sexual immorality, verse 3, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, of course, we should expect this in the world. It shouldn't surprise us when we switch on the TV at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night that we see darkness when we read our newspapers, when we look at government, politics, the media, we should lift the roof on all these things and see darkness. But in the church, this is entirely out of place, entirely unfitting, and takes a dagger and sticks it in the heart. Jesus now let me spend just a few minutes on the metaphor that follows and then we'll come back next week to the end of this passage and then marriage next week verses 8 to 14 and remember the context here he's just spoken about all of this stuff that is difficult in our culture And he then picks up the most glorious image that the church, that you and I, are to be light in the darkness that wakes people up, that leads them to Jesus. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord." Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Just to tuck away for next week. It's lovely that. That's a hymn. That's not a psalm. That little quotation there. And uh, I think the Apostle Paul puts it in with a bit of tongue in his cheek because he's about to say that in the church you just sing psalms, hymns like that one, and spiritual songs. But we'll leave that for next week. Here's the logic You are light in the Lord. In Christmas, we're going to quote these words, uh, aren't we? Uh, In Jesus was life, and the light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome the light. Tuck that away. The darkness cannot, has not, will never overcome the light. It's one of these extinguishable candles that health and safety demands you use instead of real ones in halls like this at Christmas. It can't go out. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Jesus is light in the darkness. And because you are in Christ, In the Lord, you are light in the darkness. Therefore, walk, verse 8b to 10, as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. What is the light that shines forth from Jesus? What is the light that is to shine forth from the church? What is the light that is to shine forth from this church, from your life, from my life, Goodness, righteousness, and truth. These are the sunbeams of the light of Christ in the world. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Contrast goodness, righteousness, and truth with empty words. Contrast goodness and righteousness and truth with verse 3, foolish talk, crude joking. Take goodness, righteousness, and truth. And that picture of the lover of your soul. And he is in you. And out of you comes goodness, righteousness, and truth. And as we live like that, as we walk as children of light, and humanly speaking, a church that holds faithful to these issues should die in our culture. Because it is so out of step. Spiritually speaking, as we take no part, verse 11, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but shine as a light within them, we expose them. That word expose, there is the same word in John 16, verse 8, as this the Holy Spirit will convict, convict. Same word, exactly the same word, the world of sin and of righteousness. Judgment. And so as we live distinctively as Christian communities in the darkness, the Holy Spirit will use that witness to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. And why does God convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment? Not ever to shake His fist at the world, but to lead the world to Him. Which is why Paul quotes from that hymn, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. If you have ever been in a flight in the dark and the sky is clear. You look out and all that you can see is black. I always like the window seat. I press my nose to the window seat to the window. And then you see a little speck of light. Way down there. Just a tiny one in the darkness. And then another. And then darkness again. And then a little cluster of lights. Lights scattered in the darkness. As you fly over the earth, that is what the church is like on the earth. Churches all over the earth. Little lights shining in the darkness. What would it be like if every single church that calls itself Christian in this city, in this country, were to have the confidence of God's word in these areas and shine? Like lights in the darkness. What about us as a church? What about you? What about me? You know, often when I study these passages, given all we have been through as a church it does two things for me it kind of breaks my heart as you look out and see how things are but it breaks my heart in another way because we need the daily daily forgiveness of jesus christ to keep on going the lover of our souls Father God, these are sobering words from the Apostle. And yet, steadying ones too. There's nothing new under the sun. The issues we face are the issues that the early church faced. Help us, Lord God, to be distinctive in these areas. And so shine like a light in the darkness. That people will see, not something that is exclusive and narrow and difficult and this, that, or the other. But something that is better and richer and truer and good and righteous and honorable. Help us, Lord, to live every day with the lover of our soul before our eyes. Thank you that the lover of our soul is within us by his spirit, conquering irresistibly every rebel power. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen.